0: Section 43 of England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. This is a LibriDocs recording. All LibriDocs recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriDocs.org. The World Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section forty three when victoria became queen eighteen thirty seven were benjamin disraeli earl of beaconsfield the daily bulletins became more significant the crisis was evidently at hand a dissolution of parliament at any time must occasion great excitement combined with a new reign it inflames the passions of every class of the community even the poor begin to hope the old wholesome superstition that the sovereign can exercise power still lingers and the suffering multitude are fain to believe that its remedial character may be about to be revealed in their instance as for the aristocracy in a new reign they are all in a flutter a bewildering vision of coronets stars and ribbons smiles and places at court haunts their noontide speculations and their midnight dreams then we must not forget the numberless instances in which the coming event is deemed to supply the long-sought opportunity of distinction or the long-dreaded cause of utter discomfiture the hundreds the thousands who mean to get into parliament The units who dread getting out what a crashing change from lounging in st james's street to sauntering on boulogne pier or after dining at brooks and supping at crookford's to be saved from destruction by the friendly interposition that sends you in an official capacity to the marsupial sympathies of sydney or swan river now is the time for the men to come forward who have claims claims of spending their money which nobody asked them to do but which of course they only did for the sake of the party they never wrote for their party or spoke for their party or gave their party any other vote than their own but they urged their claims to something a commissionership of anything or a consulship anywhere if no place to be had they are ready to take it out in dignities They once looked to the Privy Council, but would now be content with an hereditary honour. If they can have neither, they will take a clerkship in the treasury for a younger son. Perhaps they may get that in time. At present they go away growling with a gorgeship, or having with a desperate dexterity at length contrived to transform a tide-waiter into a land-waiter. But there is nothing like asking, except refusing. Hark! it tolls! all is over the great bell of the metropolitan cathedral announces the death of the last son of george the third who probably will ever reign in england he was a good man with feelings and sympathies deficient in culture rather than ability of a sense of duty and with something of the conception of what should be the character of an english monarch peace to his manes we are summoned to a different scene in a palace, in a garden, not in a haughty keep, proud with the fame, but dark with the violence of ages, not in a regal pile, bright with the splendour, but soiled with the intrigues of courts and factions, in a palace, in a garden, meet scene for youth and innocence and beauty, came a voice that told the maiden that she must ascend her throne the council of england is summoned for the first time within her bowers there are assembled the prelates and captains and chief men of her realm the priests of the religion that consoles, the heroes of the sword that had conquered the votaries of the craft that had decided the fate of empires men grey with thought and fame and age who are the stewards of divine mysteries who have toiled in secret cabinets, who have encountered in battle the hosts of Europe, who have struggled in the less merciful strife of aspiring senates men, too, some of them lords of a thousand vassals and chief proprietors of provinces, yet not one of them whose heart does not at this moment tremble, as he awaits the first presence of the maiden who must now ascend her throne, a hum of half-suppressed conversation which would attempt to conceal the excitement, which some of the greatest of them have since acknowledged, feels that brilliant assemblage, that sea of plumes and glittering stars and gorgeous dresses. Hush! The portals open. She comes. The silence is as deep as that of a noontide forest, attended for a moment by her royal mother and the ladies of her court who bow and then retire. Victoria ascends her throne, a girl, alone and for the first time amid an assemblage of men, in a sweet and thrilling voice, and with a composed mien which indicates rather the absorbing sense of august duty than an absence of emotion, the Queen announces her ascension to the throne of her ancestors, and her humble hope that divine providence will guard over the fulfilment of her lofty trust. The prelates and captains and chief men of her realm then advance to the throne, and kneeling before her, pledge their troth, and take the sacred oaths of allegiance and supremacy. Allegiance to one who rules over the land that the great Macedonian could not conquer, and over a continent of which even Columbus never dreamed, to the queen of every sea and of nations in every zone. End of section 43